1: The Total Soccer Show Women's World Cup, England are in the World Cup Final extravaganza! Yes, the Lionesses pulled out their bag of tricks and booked England's first World Cup final since 1966. In what would have been historic final for either team, Serena Wiegmann has brought her side closer to the dream. Thanks to Russo, Hemp, Bronze and Bright, the Aussies are now wallowing in their Vegemite. Sure, on another night it could have been different for the Matildas, maybe. But sadly, the party stops in the nation where a dingo might eat your baby. So all eyes are on Sunday for the big, big meeting. But for now, Hugh Jackman, Kate Blanchett, Kylie Minogue, Nicole (laughs) Kidman, Rupert Murdoch, Eric Banner, Outback Steakhouse and every single Hemsworth. Your girls took one hell of a beating. My name's Ryan Bailey. Joining me today, a man hoping
2: I won't be this insufferable for the entirety of the recording. Taylor Rockwell, hello. I'm not hoping you won't be, because I know you will be. Uh, Austra- I think all the Australians you just mentioned uh, like really licking their wounds today, except for Outback Steakhouse, located in Tampa, Florida. I think they're sort of wondering why they caught a stray. Uh, I don't know. The onion loaf won't be as crispy today, Taylor. I can tell. I can tell. <laughs> it's coated-, coated in tears and sadness. No, it will not
1: be, my friend. Indeed. So, Joe Lowry, how are you, sir? Are you going to be visiting Outback anytime soon? Uh,
0: I, I probably won't be, although I do have a lot of respect res- respect respect for how quickly you named an item <laughs> off of the outback Men. no i can't i can't do the bit yeah. ryan i'm happy for you i'm happy for for your compatriots more sad for australia but you know them's the breaks.
1: they are indeed i i called it onion Loaf. i think it's actually Bloom and onion is their yeah. trademark joe i just I
0: assumed that you knew frankly i just assumed yeah. that you knew and
1: so i believed it honestly
3: <laughs> i did indeed
1: joining us also the happiest brit on the podcast
3: today graham Ruffin. hello England used to be rubbish before I started coming (laughs) on this podcast. It was a blissful time in my life. The last two years, though, two Euros finals and now a World Cup final. I miss Phil Neville.
1: Yeah, it is a strange phenomenon as an English person as well, Graham. But like pre, I'm going to say pre-2016, it was international soccer would always be a disappointment. But now it's like, oh, men's and women's team are kind of good and I'm confused at how I should feel about it.
3: Yeah, so we were discussing this before we started recording in relation to how England fans sing "It's Coming Home," and um, how that song used to be quite ironic and tongue-in-cheek, and it was initially published or released in the in the nineties when England were really really bad around that time, and then even as recently as two thousand eight, the World Cup two thousand eight, where I know England make the semi-finals, but the, the expectations were so low before that tournament. And then since then, uh, it's just been well downhill for me, but uphill for <laughs> both the men's and women's England teams. I've ha- I've had enough. When will this end?
1: Yeah, you hate slash love to see it. But Graham, guess what? Guess what happened this morning? I went for a run. Guess what song I listened to? Of my last song was on the run. Guess what it was? Can you guess which song it was? Can you guess which one it did,
3: was? Did you listen to three lines though before the the, the men's Euros final though? Right, because that surely this breaks the 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 tradition if they lost that game. I don't I'm remember, I'm going to gonna say
1: uh, that, that tradition only lasts if there's no keelini based housery. It only works in those instances. <laughs> okay. There was no keelini based no- nonsense in this game, Graham. So it was well,
3: fine. I think it's unlikely he'll show up in the final. Although, fingers crossed! <laughs> <laughs>
1: you never know you never know well i'll certainly be doing a run before sunday's game as well blasting my favorite badil skinner and lightning seeds song uh patreon.com slash total show by the way listener if you want more bonus content maybe i'll even film um well maybe graham will film himself singing three lines when england win what do you say graham you not, gonna do that not yeah.
3: happening no that's never happening that is All never right. ever happening
1: Graham's open to negotiation on that one. But in the meantime, <laughs> plenty of uh, bonus podcasts and videos uh, on our Patreon. Uh, Taylor, before we get into this uh, this game, which England won, lest I remind dear listener... Um, it's been quite a phenomenon in Sydney, in Sydney, excuse me, in Australia, this entire World Cup, uh, the game mm-hmm. today happening in Sydney. But uh, Matilda's mania has broken out in Australia. Yeah. They had two extra stadiums open in Sydney uh, for fan overflow on big screens for this game alone. Apparently the fan festival had lines that started five hours before kickoff. This is being cited as the biggest sporting occasion in Australia since the 2000 Olympic Games. Mm-hmm. Uh, huge booze from every single fan in the stadium, apparently every time an England tackle 50-50 decision went in this game that's that's uh apropos of nothing but it has been terrific seeing the profile of this sport raise in australia and new zealand for this tournament
2: yes absolutely the cynical part of me wants to point out that in the fox broadcast jp della camera kept being overwhelmed by they're getting coverage in the newspaper and not even in the sports <laughs> section on the front page can you <laughs> even believe it yes i can jp yes i can uh but it was it was it's been great to see. The atmosphere in this game was incredible. When Sam Kerr Skir- scores maybe the best goal of the tournament, uh, the the electricity was there. They talked plenty about how Lucy Bronze and the entire England team looked like they had maybe lost the game for a moment there. Uh, it, it, it's been really wonderful. I'm sad we won't have that level of, of energy in the final. Uh, I suspect Spain will still be the more supportive of the two teams, even with two European finalists. But I think for... The way I've understood Australian football and the poor running by the Federation for the women's team to achieve what they've achieved and to kind of push on to these levels and have had the successes they've had, it's made for a a better tournament, a more engaging tournament, and I am sad they are out. Though I will say, I think England were the deserved winners on the day.
1: Yeah, I would say so too. And Graham, um, despite my happiness with England going through, I think there's an argument to say it would have been better for the sport itself that if australia have made this final and not just for narrative reasons but for the reasons mm. we've outlined here and we we don't we forget that australia isn't a soccer nation you know it's it's about cricket it's about rugby it's about sheep shearing it's about kangaroo tossing whatever else <laughs> they do down there but soccer is not the the main sport so to see it rise like this is is really good
3: yeah, and for England, the, the script was obviously flipped for them given that they hosted the, the Euros 12 months ago and it was a very similar situation for the Lionesses where while I wasn't too pleased to see England win the Euros, I could accept the, the cultural significance importance, and importance of England making a final and winning a final on home soil and the, and the benefit that that would bring to not just English football but to, to British football and European football as, as a whole. It really felt like a big landmark moment. And while, yes, Australia could have extended that moment into the final, I read that their quarterfinal win over um, France was the most watched TV show in Australia for 20 years. Not live TV show, not sporting event... All TV shows, which I presume puts up against, like, what, X Factor and Australian Idol or whatever, the kangaroo-tossing idol, uh, if they yep. watch that down there, um, which is quite remarkable. I presume this one beat, beat those figures. I think the final would have raised the bar even higher. But I still think Australia has had that moment. I go back to those discussions I had with my editor at Optus Sport, who I think expected a big tournament for Australia, and I th- he was caught back off guard by surprise at how mainstream it has become the the local the the, the national newspaper one of the national newspapers I'm sure is called the, the daily telegraph today it was renamed the, the daily telegraph which is the 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 nickname of the matildas of course the national team so it's, it's been a fantastic spectacle and they certainly have put on a party Yet another thing to
1: thank Rupert Murdoch for changing that title, Graham. We we love him so. <laughs> On this podcast, let's get into it. Australia one, England 3. England's thir- a third consecutive World Cup semi-final. Third time lucky for England in this instance. First time into the World Cup final, of course. Uh, Ella Toome with a great strike to open it Joe Sam equalising from distance with a deflected shot England found a way back in with Lauren Hemp pouncing on a defensive error then Alexi Russo putting the icing on the cake Joe you've been nothing but uniformly positive about this three line side throughout this tournament please continue lavishing praise now
0: I, I do have a question on that because I woke up to a tweet that was maybe justified and and I appreciate people's feedback that I have been that I've said nothing positive about England this whole time has that has that been true I feel like I've said at least a couple of nice things about England that Ryan, was just has, Ryan's burner account yeah <laughs> right okay that makes sense that's what it is I I think England was the better team in this game I you mentioned that Sam Kerr goal Ryan I hate. How much the fact that it was very clearly deflected takes away my enjoyment of that goal. I don't I think there might be something wrong with me, but it, it really does affect like how awesome that moment was. But either, even if you set that aside, that goal from Kerr in the moment that it created was a truly special part of this game, but credit to England, right? We talked about, and Ryan, you made the claim that I think was justified, and this game proved it, that pound for pound, England was the more talented team between these two sides. And I felt like that really came through in this game. Yes, there were some good tactical things that happened, and I think Serena Viegman's found a, a pretty good recipe with this. Really, it is a 3-1-6 possession shape with Kira Walsh as the, the single pivot. Ella Toon and Georgia Sandwhite higher up as a 10, as dual 10s, basically. And then you've got the front two of Russo and Hemp, and then you've got Daly on the left and Bronze on the right. I think it's, it's been a very good recipe. But really, it, it felt to me like this was a game where England exploited... Australia for some of their talent advantages and really the moment that I thought that was most Illustrated and and most clearly shown was in the 71st minute. It's the it's the go-ahead goal From hemp, right? It's the 71st minute. It's it's millie bright playing a long ball out of the back Frankly, it's a hopeful long ball in the direction of hemp and ellie carpenter playing it right back for australia Just gets rinsed like hemp just kind of forces her way through her and defenders make mistakes Absolutely, but I think you could see in that moment the quality difference between the best player on the field Hemp was absolutely unbelievable. She's involved in every goal. She created moments that didn't lead to goals. She was just everywhere all the time in the attack and was incredibly bright. But you could see the difference between that player in Hemp and Carpenter. And I felt like that was maybe like the microcosm of this game, of one team that that has, even with all the injuries that England have dealt with and are still dealing with absences uh, uh, from, from James, you can still see their quality. And I think that is, for me, the biggest thing that has them in this final.
1: Yeah, that was a rough moment for Ellie Carpenter, maybe indicative of the sort of uh, general winning of possession that England had in, in those kind of 50-50 moments in in this game. Greg, oh,
2: sorry, Taylor, go ahead. I was just going to say, I, I also feel like that goal sort of is representative of the larger game, to, to Joe's point, as he's already said, but also because... Ellie Carpenter, in that moment, the announcers thought, oh, uh, uh, Arnold, the goalkeeper, must have called for that ball. She must have come out and called for it, and so Carpenter's trying to shield. You see the reverse angle. That is not the case. She is just trying to hold the ball up, and and I think gets overwhelmed by the pressure from Hemp, but also by the uncertainty of, of playing with her back to the field towards her own goal, and I think just loses track of the ball and can't control But that felt sort of like a larger issue for Australia on the day. They have a few players who I thought covered themselves in glory and and played overall a very good game. But I thought Steph Catley, I thought Caitlin Ford, and I thought Ellie Carpenter all pretty lacking in their distribution. Uh, I had a specific prediction that Caitlin Ford would create two chances. She created none. Some of that is due to England's defending, but some of it is due to those three players consistently overhitting crosses or sort of slowing down and then hitting crosses into stagnant players it felt like at times Australia weren't able to execute the game plan with the efficiency and effectiveness they needed and if they were going to win this game everyone had to be at, at playing at 100 out of 100 and I felt like a lot of players were at 70 or 60 out of 100 and I think that was a big reason why they weren't up for it on the day
3: yeah, Till, you're absolutely spot on that that left wing of the Australian team didn't operate in the way that we've seen previously in in this tournament, and that was such a big thing for them coming into the into this match. I am, however, more inclined to give England credit for disrupting that that left side of the Australian team. Lucy Bronze Bronze was uh, pushed high up on on that side, and what that did was it pinned Steph Catley back, and and that meant that the ball was was failing to. To reach Caitlin Ford a lot of the time, and obviously that comes with risk because if if Catley handles the press and can play around bronze, then obviously Ford has even more space to drive into, but that didn't happen very often, and it meant a lot of Australia's attacks were having to come down the right side, where Ellie Carpenter was having to see more of the ball than maybe she would have liked, and she does have ability to, to carry the ball forward and into space, but... Her relationship with Rasso is is different, shall we say? I'll be kind there. <laughs> it's not as uh, fluid as the the, the relationship between Catelyn and Ford on the other side. Um, and I also think Rasso was better at being a bit of a late arriver yep. into the box, or even just getting into the box rather than standing up an opponent and beating them like Caitlin Ford does on the left side so it shifted the dynamic of the Australian attack and obviously Sam Kerr coming in as well and we can talk a little bit more about Sam Kerr and whether she should have started this game she does start this game which was a, I was a little bit surprised about but between the, the 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 focus of the attack being shifted from the left to the right and Sam Kerr coming into this Australian attack it just felt like they were a little bit disrupted a little bit disjointed as well as England did play this game All right, plenty more to talk about with this game, including that Sam Kerr question,
1: right after we take this break, back shortly.
0: This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more.
2: So get timeless looks with modern comfort from Mack Weldon. Go to MacWeldon.com and get 20% off your first order with promo code TSS. That's M-A-C-K-W-E-L-D-O-N.com, promo code TSS, to get 20% off your first order. Thank you to Mack Weldon for sponsoring today's episode.
1: Total Soccer Show, welcome back to our Women's World Cup Daily. Joe, I saw this described uh, from England's perspective as a professional performance uh it was kind of that possession versus counter-attack that we had england had 70 percent in the first 15 minutes of possession Uh, it didn't really flow in the first half this game really and what what i noticed was there was a lot of man city style stopping of play in the middle of the park if you can call it that Uh, a lot of Hmm. it's i think they mentioned on the commentary on the bbc that it, it seemed the england players had been instructed to stop the australian players quite high up the field by any means necessary, and it was yeah. sometimes kind of agricultural and
0: and that ultimately added to the ruthlessness of this win, I thought it did and I think there are two aspects of the tempo, right you' that, that's kind of what you're getting at there is the fouls disrupting the tempo of the game, but also being a, a legitimate part of Australia's game plan, and there were some going the other way as well. so it's not all not all one sided here between both yeah. of these teams for for England, I think some of the instructions to foul. Did specifically relate to how much better Sam Kerr is in in holdup play right? than Ben Eggman. Sam Kerr comes in, and she's drawing foul after foul. I think it was three fouls that she draws inside the first 24 minutes of this game, which is a, a decent clip in terms of how many times you're ending up on the ground. Kerr is just so good with her body positioning. She's so smart and how she gets herself between the ball and an opposing center back. It could be Bright, it could be Greenwood, it could be Carter. It was maybe mostly the first two there throughout this game. But she's so good at getting into those moments and either absorbing the contact and drawing a foul to let her team reset or pivoting and playing forward. So Kerr is so good at that. And that posed, having her in the lineup from, from Tony Gustafson, posed a larger threat to England in those transition moments than it would have otherwise. And so I think that's a big part of the fouls here. The other part, Ryan, you used the word professional, which I think does generally describe this England team. I do think in in soccer, that word can be used to describe like a, just a boring team or a, or a boring <laughs> performance, right? I think we all kind of fall in that crutch. And I won't lie, like there there is that aspect of this England team. I guess it's just an England thing at the international level, or maybe it's just an international soccer kind of thing because these teams don't get to play together that much. But England, and I've talked about this all throughout the tournament, and I'm going to spin it into a positive here because I think they've proven that it is not necessarily always a disadvantage. But Taylor, you and I talked about England after the win over Columbia, how slowly they moved the ball. And we talked about how against Australia, a team that also likes to sit deep in this semifinal, they would probably have to move the ball a little bit quicker to move that block, break inside, and then create chances. I'll be honest, I don't really think England moved the ball any quicker in this game. But what they continue to show is that even if they don't move it at a rapid tempo to shift a block from side to side, they have the quality and like sort of this easy quality and comfort on the ball that they don't always need to play incredibly fast. They're clever and creative and very much not bothered. They're, they're just completely unbothered by any opponent, at least any opponent they face. Maybe Spain will be a different story. And so it, it's like they'll just kind of wait, and they'll they'll eventually find that half second, even if they're not creating a lot of those moments to exploit themselves, they'll just kind of bide their time, and Georgia Stanley will make a run in behind, or Lucy Browns will make a run in behind, they'll find Lauren Hemp between the lines. Like, there's so many options for this team. I don't think they play as fast as they, they can, but clearly, whatever the recipe is of letting the quality really shine through in Wiegmann's shape, it's working, because they were mm-hmm. the better team in this match, if not by, like, a crazy wide margin. And it's interesting, because
2: when Sam Kerr scores that equalizer we've seen other teams in this tournament panic and give up goals immediately thereafter or just sort of fail to take uh, control of the game again or even just let game go to, to full time and then try to regroup ahead of extra time and I don't feel like England responded dramatically even if they scored what like eight minutes after Sam Kerr equalizes I don't feel like they panicked I don't feel like they they did anything differently I feel like they kind of Got really frustrated when they conceded, and then it was stiff upper lip and and on with the game, and they did just that and played their game. I think you're totally right, Joe, that I didn't see a huge increase in the tempo. The only thing I saw was maybe a bit more directness from England as the game went on, but I think that's in response to Australia, once again, when they're behind, having to to change up their shape and be more direct and leaving Uh, Space to attack or opportunities in behind. So I I think it's it's to their credit that England sort of play the game they want to play, even if it is at a slower tempo. I think that allows them to then control the tempo and control the speed of the game. And also in this game in particular, nullify to the extent possible some of that atmosphere and that energy.
3: Yeah, I just think England are a very intelligent team on the pitch. Those changes aren't necessarily coming from from Wiegmann, from uh, from Wiegmann on the, on the touchline because a couple of times in this tournament when she has had to make changes, I think she's actually stalled in making those changes. But just little subtle things that England do, like in the start of this match, it was quite clear that Australia were trying to get close to and un- on top of Kira Walsh, which obviously isn't a, an unusual opposition ploy given how important she is to England. And England just kind of... Subtly move, not saying that Keira Walsh was starved of the ball, but they just subtly move the kind of hub of possession out to Alex Greenwood. And so she has more of the ball. And the other thing that they, there was a recognition in the first half was the Australian mid block where. Australia's objective was to get close to the England forwards and stop the ball from going into them. But then what that did was create space for the attacking midfielders. And England recognised this, and this is where the Stanway opportunity comes from, where Alex Greenwood, by the way, plays this excellent pass in behind for Georgia Stanway to make a run from deep in behind. And it's where the Elatoon goal, uh, goal comes from, which I, I know is obviously an excellent strike, but it's from an area where she's left pretty free with, with Russo driving to the byline. So, yeah, just think, England are very good at making those subtle changes. Taylor, you, you mentioned they went a little bit more direct in the second half. I think that's another one of those those subtle changes. They recognise where the game state is. They recognise that, sure, you're getting a little bit further forward. Sam Kerr's having more of an influence. And they also recognised, by the way, that Alana Kennedy isn't starting for Australia in this game. And I do wonder if she if she plays in this game, she missed out through illness. She is a bit more of a a, a physical threat up against Russo. I do wonder if she handles those moments a little bit better. But again, there's just a recognition from England. What is going to work in in a specific moment of the match? And they executed very well. Did indeed. Taylor, what about that Sam Kerr
1: question? We mentioned it on yesterday's podcast about whether she should start or not, or whether to come on as an impact sub. Uh, My wife and I both watched this game together, and when it was about 15 minutes to go, we both sort of looked and agreed, like, there's another goal in this. Whether it's a 3-1 or a 2-2, there's another goal in this. And I wonder whether, had she come on as an impact sub, whether that could have been a 2-2...
2: And well, a different story. Yeah. I think my concern with her starting was just the fitness. And if you bring on a player who is not fully fit or it looks a little bit rusty, doesn't have the sharpness required, uh, and especially the sharpness expected of a player like Sam Kerr, it can be detrimental to the way you want to play. I didn't see that in, in this game. I don't think Sam Kerr, and this maybe sounds ludicrous to say with the goal she scores, I don't think she had as big of an impact as I thought she might. I think a lot of that has to do with how cynically she was treated. Uh, I had. Uh, yeah. First minute, she gets, picks up the ball and is hacked down. Ninth minute, uh, the exact same thing. And then I think Joe spotted one. I did not in the 24th. Did you say Joe? Yeah, the, the, I believe there were three fouls inside the first yeah.
0: 24th minute, or at least that's what JP told me, and I did have the volume on, there and I go. believed him.
2: Hey, there we oh, go. nice. So. So I think some of that was the way she was handled. I do think also some of the service was not particularly good, but we still saw the moments uh, like when she's played in behind the shot is saved, it would have come back for offside anyway, but we saw how effective she can be playing up there by herself. And certainly the goal alone shows how good she can be in those situations. Because if you pause it, when Australia regained possession knowing that they're going to score, you might be a little bit confused. And if you pause it when Sam Kerr gets the ball and look at where she is, where England's defenders are, and knowing that she's going to score in like under five seconds, it's still sort of confusing how that's going to happen. And then you see that strike with somewhat of a deflection. I don't want to give the full credit to the deflection, but Joe is correct. There's an obvious deflection there. But I think that goal, again, shows you what she can bring. So in the end, I think it's not certainly not a mistake that she starts, but I do think it was a more anonymous performance from her at times until she scores that equalizer. And the sort of 15 minutes around that goal uh, for Australia felt like their strongest point when they were attacking, when it felt like, okay, now they're finding Sam Kerr. England don't really have an answer. England are starting to overly focus on her. That's opening up space for other players. And that was the period of time when it did feel like maybe Australia could get another one or could make something happen. And then, the England go-ahead goal sort of comes out of nowhere in my mind, certainly against the run of play. Uh, and then I think from that moment on, it's Australia having to chase, and I think they lose some of that momentum. But I think yeah. Sam Kerr starting, probably the correct decision given the way this played out.
0: Yeah, I said it yesterday. I think it was the correct decision. Um, I won't lie though; there are some moments, especially late on in this game, that yeah. are yeah. difficult to swallow. Right for for someone who was in the start and play Sam Kerr as much as possible, Camp. Uh, it's the 83rd minute chance that she has. She can't score uh, what, yeah. would, what would have been a second equalizer off of a, a ball in from Fowler. She can't head the ball in frame. And then at the 85th minute after a set piece, she can't direct the ball on target either. And I am think I'm more inclined than anybody else of the four of us to like kind of just chalk that off to bad luck and say like, oh, you'll get the next one and understand that soccer players don't put all their shots on target. That's why I get irritated with the whole should have done better thing, right? It's because it discounts how hard it is to put the ball in the back of the net. But I will say there is a chance, even if I don't personally believe it is a large chance, there is a chance that another player in that same position would have had a better experience would have done better that's what that's what i'm looking for it would have done better putting the ball into the back (laughs) of the net right i don't i don't really believe so hard not to say that
2: (laughs) he really did he
0: really really did (laughs) i don't really believe that that's well played glad you guys got that one in Um, but i do think that is that's possible here even if i would go and say like the getting into the shot getting into the spot to take the shot is so much more important it was not it was not exactly a clinical performance from sam kerr in the box
3: throughout this match yeah I don't really have any sort of concise thoughts on whether she should have started or not I was surprised to see her in the starting lineup what I would say Joe is that 85th minute opportunity that you're talking about yeah that looked like quite a tired execution of of that chance and I do wonder if she comes on you know 55th minute or whatever she's a little bit fresher perhaps she takes that opportunity the other thing is I the way that the first half panned out and obviously this is you know hindsight 2020 and all that you don't really know how a game's going to pan out before it starts but the way that the first half p- panned out I feel like Australia could have played in a similar way to how they played in the first half and and what you have then is you can yeah. react when you have care to come off the bench if you fall behind it's doing it the other way around is more difficult and so when I when I think about it in that sense I probably again would have had her on the uh on the bench but I I accept you know Joe, you probably feel some vindication in advocating her starting because she does produce a moment of magic to get Australia back yeah. into the game. And that is why you have her on the field. You're you're taking a gamble that by having her on the field by longer, she has more opportunity to do something like that.
0: Yeah. It's
2: wild yeah. though that it could it really could go either way, because there's also that reality of to your point, Graham, she comes on to the 50th or 55th, and then she scores that goal, and then she has fresher legs for those final 30 minutes. But at the same time, you wonder, like, would the game have played out the way it did? Would England have had to be as concerned about uh, Sam Kerr on the break or Sam Kerr on the box? Would they have been able to control the game more? It, it, it's, it's tough to know which way it would have gone. Uh, but I think in the end, it's hard to second guess when you have a player like Sam Kerr and she says she's good to go. Yep. I think you've yep. got to put her in and, and uh, credit to Tony Gustafson for everything he's done without Sam Kerr playing in this tournament. It's wild that the one game she starts is, is the game they lose, mm-hmm.
3: but that's football. I am really pleased that she got her big moment. I think this yeah. World Cup wouldn't have felt complete without it. So we can debate whether she should have started or not. But I am pleased that she did that in the game that she did start. Yeah. Something, Taylor, we mentioned on yesterday's show
1: as well. There's, we all expected this to be like a tight, cagey, Settled by a one goal kind of affair. Mm-hmm. And although we there wasn't a great flow and tempo, particularly in the first half, it was pretty end to end and exciting. And the Australians, the way they were counter attacking, was pretty thrilling. I like, you know, Bronze and Daly pumping these diagonals into the box, Hemp with a brilliant hold up playing, breaking through the lines. It was pretty, I thought it was much better than we expected, right?
2: The As face that I'm making uh will tell you that I feel the opposite. Until Sam no. Kerr's equalizer. Literally, the note before Sam's, Sam 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 Kerr's equalizer is: these two semifinals could be exhibits A and B in Joe's knockout round. Football at the international level is not exactly pretty. Uh, I did not think this game was was particularly fun to watch. Most of my notes are about fouls and and positioning to stop possession, and about overhit crosses and about direct play. I thought England again. Played better on the day and had more creativity in the way they played. I think they had better possession. I think they had better counterattacks overall. But I still think it's another game where until the final 30 minutes, it, it was sort of a, eh, this is going to play out with missed opportunities, but not a ton of clear cut chances. Credit to England for getting the 1-0 win. Those final 30 minutes maybe bring it up a few letter grades, but I still think overall not, not the most aesthetically pleasing game of soccer, not my favorite game of soccer in this tournament.
3: I was surprised that we got four goals out of ninety minutes in this game. I think the pattern was kind of what we expected, but this does remind me of I remember the Scotland England game at the Men's Euros a couple years ago, where we we recorded straight after that game, and I was like dripping in sweat, and I was like, that was the most gripping game I've ever watched in my life, and the three of you were like, that was boring as heck. So, yeah, I mean it's yeah.
2: it's USA it's USA Wales right on the Men's side where I was yeah. like apoplectic and you all were like it they they drew it was fine <laughs> like yeah i think every now and then the, the uh the personal con- connection can maybe cloud the emotion
1: all right fair enough i just thought the ball uh, it was reasonably end-to-end despite it not being the prettiest spectacle it was a bit more open and there were more me- chances created than i expected
2: there it is i think that's that's what i was gonna ask Is like but wh- what were your expectations because if you had an Ooh. expectation of England in the semi-final maybe not putting it together or looking clunky or looking overawed by the atmosphere or by Sam Kerr doing things. I could then see how you would think, "Oh, this was a better performance. This was a better game." Because I think they were like just the better team on the day. I thought they they showcased their abilities much better and they created more chaos than I than I would have expected. I thought Australia would be the chaos team. England with some of the way they scored and some of the effectiveness and efficiency uh, with how they scored and yeah. they showed their yeah. ability, it. The I think I think that's yeah, the term off, efficiency off. as well. Sorry to interrupt, Graham, but it's it's
1: the it was the slow, patient build up. It was the, it was the combined with the really good defending, being able to pass through that Australian press. It was just clinical, efficient, professional—all yeah. these kind of words to, to that effect. Yeah,
0: and and Graham, I want to hear your thoughts, but I guess I'll just interrupt you as well now, and we'll just keep <laughs> the train going. Taylor, you want to go after me, and then we can all just sort of like yeah. bump crammed. Down. Okay, great, good, glad we got that scheduled. Yeah, Ryan, I I totally agree. Like, and that's what I was trying to get at earlier with this like easy sense of of quality on the ball for this team. I, I again, I still think the tempo is is not high, and that makes a lot of these England games a little slow. Uh, there's definitely a little sluggishness to how they play. But man, the quality is so there. How they build through any type of pressure. I'm really curious to see how they play Spain because to be honest, Spain, maybe Japan are the closest team to them in the world right now. But there is no team that play soccer quite like Spain do at this point, and the amount of pressure that's going to be thrown at England in basically every moment, either pressure as they try to absorb Spain's possession or pressure as they try to play through their counter pressure that's going to come in from Spain, that's going to be a completely different ballgame for England. But so far, absolutely, I give credit to this team because they've handled the obstacles that have been thrown at them. And I think this player pool is very capable of continuing to do that.
3: Yeah, I think all things considered... I know England absolutely smashed China in the last group stage game, but China were... They were already through, as good as through England, and also China were a bad team. Um, so all things considered, this probably was England's most convincing um performance of mm. the entire tournament to date. When you consider playing a host nation, when you consider Lauren James being suspended, when you consider the, 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 the way that we felt this could be a bad matchup for England, we did say that in our preview and the way that they they were able to to overcome that yeah i think this was fairly impressive from from england and also uh, to provide some 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 british context which obviously ryan you'll be privy to as well the amount of pressure the level of pressure that england have come under since the euros which they obviously won the last 12 months for this team have been all about the world cup I know that's the same for every contender at World Cup level, but I can't stress how anything less than winning this World Cup or maybe making the final, in which England have obviously done now, anything less than that would have been a failure for this group of players. And I can't imagine that as a very, that that makes the environment particularly uh, enjoyable. But this England team do seem to to be having fun. And I think it was telling that after this game, there was a lot of celebration from them the first time that they have celebrated, or I've seen them celebrating at this tournament. So it does seem like a very a very happy camp, a very good environment for them. It does indeed. What a lovely way
1: to end the B-block, ble- uh, Graham.
3: Let's take a little
1: break. When we come back, we'll preview that World Cup final and we'll uh, take a look at our very specific predictions. Back shortly.
0: This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before?
1: Total Soccer Show, welcome back to our Women's World Cup Daily. Uh, Graeme, you mentioned uh, the England positivity in the camp. Serena Wiegmann, who, as you mentioned, have won the Euros, first time of asking with this team, and now possibly a World Cup in a two-year stint. That's mighty impressive, isn't it?
3: Yeah, I just don't think it can be disputed at this point that you know Wiegmann is, is the best manager in women's interna- international soccer at this point. As you say, she's made back-to-back World Cup finals mean, with, with two different nations. Just behind Blackow or Of course, or, yeah. We take Vlatko like, out of the it. equation. It's okay. like when people talk yeah. about the best football, male football in the world and we just discount Messi. Same sort of thing, yeah. Vlatko <laughs> yeah, okay, cool. is the managerial Messi. Viegman yeah. in second place, <laughs> but yeah, she's made back-to-back World Cup finals with two different nations won the last euros with england won the one before that with the netherlands i when you look at her you know her package as a manager i don't i don't think there's anyone better than her she has an extremely good hit rate with setting up her team in the right way I don't think she's the absolute best at changing games with with subs, but she rarely has to make big changes. Most of the time, it's just little subtle changes. She is an excellent communicator. She used to be a, a, a physical education teacher. She was a physical education teacher all the way through her playing career when she got 99 caps for the Netherlands. I think that's where those communication skills come from she's got a nat- a natural air of authority which also might be linked to the the whole t- teacher career um, but not in a like a shouta way i think she's quite mm-hmm. a popular figure within the dressing room so i do wonder what happens if england win on sunday because surely that would be a sort of mission accomplished moment like there's nothing else but the olympics i don't know how much stock england are putting in the olympics and on women's football is considered england a major can't tournament, enter the olympics. But- of course, that'll be why, yeah. No, wait, there's still a Team GB team, isn't there? It's just England, it's just England. Yeah, players, but I then think. you have to have your lot in there and it's not the same. <laughs> no, we, we our Scottish FA bans anyone that accepts those calls. <laughs> True story. Um, wow. But yeah, the point I'm getting to is England are very fortunate to have her. I don't know what happens uh, if England win this tournament on Sunday. Basically what I'm saying is US soccer, start counting your pennies and give you know, a call. <laughs>
1: Maybe so, maybe so. It's uh, she's my favorite Dutch person, Joe. Have I told you about my favorite goal member quote?
0: Um, anyway, oh, I England not, versus- not recently. No, do you want to toss it out? <laughs> England versus
1: Spain on Sunday, of course. Um, Joe, is this a good
0: matchup for England? Do we think? Uh, at this point, I think all the matchup talk kind of goes out the window, right? Because not only because you can't control any of that stuff, but because both of these teams are so talented, right? We've seen them handle a variety of different approaches so far in this competition. I think it's a slightly better opponent for them than a team that's going to sit deep and, and try to really be compact. But I will say, it's just it's just a different challenge. It's a totally different obstacle than any other op- opponent that England have faced so far. They're going to play without the ball a little bit more, which I think can be an advantage. I think Ali Wagner said something to the effect of an open game favoring Australia more in this semifinal And I kind of would have gone the other way with it. I think open games tend to favor England a bit more. And it's not that Spain want games to be open. It's the exact opposite. But England will be back on their heels a little bit more. You get Lauren James back in. You get Lauren have the two Laurens, absolutely making moves for England as they streak forward into the attack. I think there could be some good opportunities there for England. But then on the other, if for every positive, basically, and maybe this is what I should have led with, for every positive that you can come up with about why this might be a good matchup for England, I think you can come up with an equal negative here, Albert Einstein yeah. style, and figure out why it's a bad matchup for them. So I guess I'm kind of pleading the fifth on
3: that. I went back and I looked at the Euros quarterfinal between Spain and England last year because that was an excellent match. It's a match that I remember pretty vividly and also because it was the toughest match that England had in that entire tournament. They were fortunate to win that match for 83 minutes. Spain had played the better game and it was only really by chucking on or chucking forward, I should say, Millie Bright as an emergency center forwards that England are able to gain a foothold in this game. So that that does bode well for Spain. Obviously these two teams, that was only twelve months ago. It'll be largely similar lineups from from the two teams. I certainly think Spain have the quality to win the midfield battle and have more of the ball because that's the sort of thing they do. But I agree, Joe, I think an open game benefits england i think the running of russo and 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 hemp will be key to england driving at spain and and getting in behind which is where they can be vulnerable and i I know ella toon plays a good game against australia here and she scores that fantastic opener i would still have lauren james coming back into the team of course she she will be available again after her two match suspension I would play her centrally. I know, Joe, you've talked about how you don't like her as much there, but I wouldn't disrupt the system. I think the the payoff there is is probably worth it rather than changing the whole shape and getting her into a wide position. Um, so I would keep those three players of Russell Hemp, and James pretty high to make the most of any counter-attacking moments because that's where I envisage England hurting Spain in this match. I think it
2: probably will be Lauren James. I, I would, the only thing I would say is that we don't know how camp has gone. We don't know how training has gone. We don't know how much uh has risen to the occasion so if it's not lauren james i'm not going to be immediately flummoxed or immediately point to that as a reason england didn't play well uh at the same time i also don't think if lauren james comes back in and england play well it's necessarily on her that like oh she has the red card and now the whole team lost their chemistry or whatever but i, I can see reasons why you wouldn't go with her if you're serena viegland i can see reasons why you would i don't think either one necessarily will be the
3: difference maker when Lauren James comes in and scores a hat trick. I will eat those words. Yeah, the only thing that makes me think Lauren James won't start, sorry, sorry, Ryan, the only thing that makes me think Lauren James won't start is Serena Vigman's original plan was for Ella Toon. Lauren James is on the bench for the first game. And so I could see with it working the last two matches against Australia and, oh, who was the quarterfinal against? Columbia. Columbia. There we go. Um, That maybe she goes back to her original plan, but then it's not it's not a it's not a like for like because the original plan didn't feature a back 3 with wing backs so it, the, the equation has shifted in that regard as well
2: yeah a little it, bit it harsh has. for for her to score and then not get the start but again i understand why sorry joe go ahead
0: yeah the equation has changed i just think the the allure of having james and hemp running forward in transition is, is it would be too strong for me to resist let's put it that way if you can get Hard defensive work from Lauren James. Uh, I think I think you can out of her. If you can get that, I don't think you really lose much of going from from James to Tune or Tune to James. In this case, I think you you just instruct your players to be as compact defensively as possible in moments to wrestle you know any of the danger that Spain want to create with their possession away from them, and then you really do commit to going quickly in transition. And I think of all the players in this tournament. James and Hemp might be the two best suited. Certainly of all the players left in, in the final two teams, they're the two best players suited to really cause problems for Spain in open play.
1: Yeah, it's a really difficult call for Vigman this one. I wouldn't be surprised if it's the same lineup that, starts, uh, that started this game that starts in the final, but we shall certainly see. Taylor, looking at the uh, odds being offered by the betting emporiums, Spain are narrow favorites in this game. Do you see them that way?
2: I think so. I think for the way they've played in this tournament, the 4-0 loss to Japan notwithstanding, I think the idea that they are the more likely team to control possession, to control the tempo of this game, I think England will be desperately trying to disrupt that tempo and uh, in, in, like and enforce their own. Uh, but I still think when you're looking at a Spain team that are going to possess, that are going to have the ball near the uh, the England goal, if not inside the the 18, I still think they are the ones that you're looking at as being the the difficult team to break down, the difficult team to to punish for their mistakes. So I understand why they would be. I still think this is a a pretty fascinating matchup for all the reasons Graham and Joe have already laid out, that I could see either team winning it. I could see this going to penalties. Uh, I could see goals aplenty. I could see it being nil-nil. I think there's so many different ways in which this could play out uh, that I I think it makes for a really captivating final, and I'm excited that it's these these two teams in it, even if that makes Graham sad.
3: Yeah, sure. I do think we probably ended up with the two best tournament teams. Um mm. that is in my mind slightly different to being the best team. I still I, I can't shake Japan from my mind how they played those first what was it yeah. four games and I guess the um the measure that I would use there is if Japan play a full league season then maybe they finish top of a a, a a league table. But as tournament teams, I think England and Spain have, have, have been the best in knockout football. Both teams have different options. So Spain have para, para, Paralevo. I still haven't <laughs> nailed that pronunciation. <laughs> We're in game seven <laughs> of this tournament. Um, but obviously she's a very direct option to have off the bench. I don't know if she will start this match. And then obviously England have James and Ella Toon and Chloe Kelly who we haven't really mentioned much during this tournament other than the, the penalty, of course, against Ni- uh, Nigeria Is that in, in the round the 16 they can go to a back three as well England they can go with a midfield diamond or, or a box midfield or it could be a front tour it could be Russo up there on their own so I am looking forward to it in a sort of a vomit if England win way <laughs> uh,
2: a question yeah. I have been meaning to ask Graham since I believe the group stages uh you Graham were very uh, not okay with Hoots for Germany wearing the number nine and being a right back slash right mm. wing back. How do you feel about Rachel Daly wearing the number nine and being a left wing back for England? Does that Ugh. does that bias your otherwise supreme love for England? Do you feel like never mind, this isn't the team I want to root for with my whole heart? <laughs>
3: See, the thing with Rachel Daly is, I feel like that was part of the bargain with Srina Viegman, where she was like, okay, <laughs> we're not going to play you as a number nine, but we will but... give you the number nine shirt. Yeah, so you can. So anyone who's not watching these games, you can pretend, you know, you can post your Instagram picture with the number nine shirt, and you can just pretend you're playing as the center forward. So I can understand it from Viegman's point of view. But she tackles like a number nine as well, I'll say that
1: did you yeah. think she said uh, australia is on the other side of the world it's upside down you could call it a six maybe that's you know
3: <laughs> it's six for a left back and it's only marginally better it's no better it's slightly
1: better i'd say it's slightly better all right um joe uh who, who do you think is gonna win this final then i know we always like to leave the predictions yep. to you it's your favorite thing to do yep. is it going to be england or the team that will wallop 4-0 in the group stages
0: I felt great about predicting in the semifinal round. Ryan, you weren't here. Maybe there's a coincidence there. Maybe, <laughs> maybe it's not. I told Taylor, Australia and Spain, and I got one of the two right. So my hit rate isn't fantastic. But this game, I-, I truly have no idea who is going to win this game. I will not be surprised regardless of the outcome. I will say England because I think the talent is comparable. And maybe, just maybe, they're going to have a little bit more success on the break than Spain will have breaking them down. But man, the line of decisions that we've talked about in, in pretty significant detail at this point could throw a giant wrench into things. What Spain do could throw a wrench into things and, and who gets to start there in midfield in particular. There's lots of ways for this to go, but I will I will say England and they're going to continue their dominance over European foes. Uh, Re-10, it's coming home. Graham? <laughs> Spain, it's not. Re-20. <laughs> That's
1: not how re-20 works, but fine, Taylor, your thoughts?
2: Uh, I think it's England. Uh, even even if I think Spain would be the better team to watch, the more enjoyable team to win, and I know how insufferable Ryan Bailey will be on this show, I think the one thing that kind of stands out to me is that England seemed to be okay with getting punched in the mouth and then finding a solution, and Spain obviously had that loss to Japan, but in other games, I've, we talked about this uh, in, in their game uh, versus Sweden, that when they take the lead, they they still tend to cough up goals and I, and I can see them. This isn't my specific prediction, but I like a bonus little prediction that I will not claim. Don't worry. I, I know the very specific, uh, title write, race is, is, is hotly contested. Um, but I could see Spain scoring first and I could see England equalizing within like 10 or 15 minutes of that goal. Cause, and so I think England for everything we've talked about in, in this show, have an ability to sort of grind and stay the course. I'm using a, like, I think I, the only one I haven't used so far is mind the gap of England cliches. Uh, but, but I think, I, so I think overall, England maybe just have that next level. Like Maybe it's Millie Bright in the 90th minute scoring a header to equalize, but I still think they'll they'll find a way through uh, against Spain. This is a slight attempt at a reverse jinx. I'm not going to lie.
1: Uh,
2: I was about to say boy, I redrawed that
1: now. Uh, there's one thing left to do on this podcast. That is our very specific predictions. If you're on our Patreon, on our Discord, uh, you will see the league title race, uh, the golden shoey, as we're calling it. Uh, it's very tight between us uh, TSS hosts. Graham, I believe it pains me to say, I think you're out of the mm. race now with your current tally um, of points. So um, um, have you got an excellent VSP for us right now?
3: Yeah, I've, I've been eliminated from Golden Shoe contention. My, my knockout round form was was dreadful. My head's gone. The psychological warfare has, has got to me. So I'm going to go out with a bang, right? My VSP is that Georgia Stanway will score from the halfway line. She likes a long distance shot. She scored one against Spain in the Euros, not from the halfway line, not anywhere close to the halfway line, but from outside the box. And Catacol, who is the, the, the Spanish goalkeeper, plays very, very high. She likes to come off her line. So I am envisaging a kind of turnover high up the pitch and Stanway scoops her from my long, long way out.
2: I, I'm
1: very specific. And you've shot for, swung for the fences, as we say, Graham. I like that very much indeed. Good way to sign off your VSPs, Joe, where are you landing with this one?
0: All right, so my VSP is about dribbles because who doesn't who doesn't love dribbles? Come on, everybody loves dribbles. So I'm saying sure. that England will attempt more take-ons as defined by FBref, that's the fine print, than Spain in this game. So so far at this tournament, not including this England Australia game because the stats weren't up yet when it was time to record, it's not my fault, blame the data people. So far Spain are averaging 26.5 attempted take-ons per 90 minutes. England are averaging just over 25. I think that's going to flip in this game. Despite the fact that Spain will likely control possession, I think England are going to maybe wrestle away little bits of control and have a few different spells. I think that will happen. But they're also going to try to be extremely dynamic in transition. I think with James back especially, England has a really good chance to cause issues for Spain with some of those dynamic attacking moves. Frankly, I think outside of Paraguelo, I think England have the more dynamic players in some of those moments. And so I'm going to say that England will flip the script and end up with more attempted take-ons in this game than Spain. All right, very good. Uh, My VSP for this one is that Mary Earps will make
1: four or more saves in this game. Uh, She made three in this... That's not what what, it says in the document. Mary Earps will make four or more saves? Is that not what it says? No.
2: Have you changed the document? Me? (laughs) (laughs) I believe it's written in the document that Mary Earps will make 12 or more saves. So I, I mean, you know, it's up to you. It's up to you, right?
3: Oh, you no, go. it says twenty. <laughs>
2: okay.
1: All right, Listen, something's going on here. We have the Google Doc where we write down our VSPs, and there's been some hijinks apparently. Mary Earps will make four or more saves in this talk, <laughs> in this uh, in this game, this World Cup final. G-
2: G- Joe is so over all of
1: it. Oh. I just was. so, I thought we were
0: going to stop and reset, and then we just kind of trudged through, and I didn't know what was going on. I was confused. I didn't like it.
2: I
1: just want. Uh, t- I'm not. I'm not even going to explain why. She's going to make four or more saves. She's yep. going to be peppered with the shots. Uh, she's made some crucial saves in all the games so far. That's my stat: four or more saves for Mary
2: Earps. Uh, Taylor, what's your uh, non? Four more to saves, ten- says Posterity. Uh, England will have at least four overt or cynical fouls in this one. I originally wrote three, but as we were recording, I changed it to four because uh, I only had the two on Sam Kerr in the f- opening 24 minutes, not the other one. Uh, but but I think that is a thing that they did really well in this game. I think that they disrupted play, and they also let certain players know you're going to get a kick or you'll get a kick back, as was the case for uh, Hayley Rosso. She has a double foul, neither of which is called And a couple minutes later, Rachel Daly goes in for a tackle, gets the ball. And then I think also gets a little bit of Haley Rasso at the same time for good measure. I think we'll see England with a few sort of dark arts, cynical fouls, a step step of the toe, a kick after the ball is gone. But I think we'll also see some very cynical pullbacks if Spain are able to kind of break through or get uh, the ball into a more dangerous position in transition. So four overt or cynical fouls from England in this game
1: i like that a lot I, I i picture pep guardiola silently nodding along as he watches this game very good <laughs> yes. doing up. the jack
2: nicholson face <laughs>
1: <laughs> indeed yes. indeed uh i I'm, i have one pledge to do a Shuey on the patreon uh should i win the vsp uh title just saying um but do i have to use Graham shoe because he's the current vsp yes Shoei. that's how this works <laughs> okay. you have, you have to is. travel
3: up here as well to get it from me and then travel back down yeah
1: Mm, okay, that's quite a lot of fuel. I have to think about that, Graham. But thank you very much for the <laughs> offer. Uh, in the meantime, we have World Cup Daily. Thank you very much for joining us on this journey, listener. I believe on Thursday's pop we'll be answering some listener questions. Coming back, baby, with some listener questions, and of course we'll be covering the World Cup final on Sunday. But for now, Graham Ruffin, thank you very much, sir.
0: Thank you, Ryan Bailey Joe Lowry, a pleasure as always, my good man. Right back at you, Ryan, and congrats on almost winning the World Cup. Maybe. We'll see. Don't
1: jinx it. Don't do that, Joe. No, do it.
0: Do that. Do that, Joe. Do it. Taylor Rockwell, thank you
1: very much. I love you, but never um, mess with the sanctity of VSPs on our (laughs) Google Doc ever again,
2: please. I shan't. It's coming home. England will win for sure, no matter what. Write it down. Lock it in. Guaranteed. And oh again.
1: boy oh boy thank you very much for those uh, leaps of faith that we've taken at the end now listener thank you very much for joining us on this podcast we'll be back very shortly but for now bye
2: <laughs> Bravo, slash